go to seminary and nothing prepares you for becoming a pastor. Teach you about counseling and they teach you how to deal with uh, major events and how to preach and how to study the Bible. But then once you actually get started, you're like, whoa, no one told me life was going to be this way. You get caught unexpected and really honestly, it's like parenting, nothing can prepare you for it. And you know what, Jason and I have a lot of stories about when we first became pastors. You know, some of them are funny, some of them are, oh my gosh, like when Jason flooded the sanctuary, purely on accident, because he loved the baptismal running, I know. You know, there was a time we forgot somebody in a trip. And you know, now we look back and we laugh because we found that person, we did bring them with us. Trust us with your children, camp is coming up. I promise we'll bring them back, we won't lose them. And some other ones were more challenging than that. Some other ones, we looked at each other and we were like, what are we going to do? Nothing prepared us for this. And every pastor that you talk to has a similar story. And today I want to share with you one of my friend's story when he first became a pastor. I'm going to read it to you because I asked him to write it down for me. He said, over 30 years ago, only a few months after I became a pastor, I got a call to go to the hospital. I don't know the name of the condition, and I still can't pronounce it, but the baby had been born with part of her intestines outside her body. The doctors weren't giving her much hope. The family was absolutely rocked. I was a rookie. It seemed to me that this one should have been assigned to someone else, someone who knew how to pray better than me someone with more experience. I felt completely out of my league. I met with the family, said some encouraging words, and then went back to the pediatric intensive care unit. I prayed for the baby. I reached my hand through the plastic gloves, touched her, and prayed a simple prayer. I didn't have a lot of faith. I went back out to the waiting room to talk to the family. We visited. They cried. Then we held hands in a circle to pray. The baby's grandmother stood beside me while we prayed. I don't remember exactly what I prayed, but I remember distinctly that in the middle of my prayer, Grandma started to get happy and blessed. She said, whoa, I felt that. I didn't know what she was talking about. I didn't feel anything. When we were done praying, Grandma said, God did something while you were praying. Our baby is going to be healed. I left the hospital and went back to my office, sad and burdened for the family. The next morning, I got a call. It was the family again. They said, come immediately. We need you now. I got there as fast as I could. I had on my calm preacher's face, but inside I was struggling. This was a first for me. I expected to pray a final prayer as the baby took its last breath. I knew I had to be strong and have the right words to say, but I wasn't sure I could take it. The family was in the waiting room. When I stepped in the door, Grandma was going crazy. She was shouting and dancing and singing. She grabbed me and hugged me, tears pouring down her eyes, down her face, and the whole family was crying. I didn't know what was going on. But then Grandma said, Pastor, we got it. We got our miracle. I told you something happened. Listen, somehow the condition had reversed itself that night. 
the doctors didn't understand how. They hadn't intervened. They hadn't done anything for that baby yet. They just knew the baby was going to be okay. I saw the mother a few years ago. She had a picture of her daughter on her wedding day. She said, do you remember our miracle baby? How could I forget? Only God. What seemed desperate and hopeless was changed overnight by the Lord. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing testimony of the power of God. I know that sometimes when we're asked to pray for people, we are so worried about the words that are coming out of our mouths. But it doesn't take fancy words. It just takes a heart that believes, a heart that loves, a heart that trusts Jesus. In the story we're going to look at today, Jesus encountered a guy in a desperate, hopeless situation. He didn't put himself in it. He didn't want it. But he was alone. He was forgotten, unloved, and untouchable. It's one of the shorter stories in the Bible. It's only three verses long. And it starts in Matthew 8, verse 1. When he, Jesus, came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Everywhere that Jesus went, large crowds followed him. They wanted to hear him teach. They wanted to see the miracles. But on this particular occasion, verse 2 tells us that a man with leprosy came. Jesus was walking with a crowd when a mutilated, disfigured man approached. He looked like a walking corpse. The man was a leper. It wasn't his fault. He didn't want leprosy just happened. Now, in those days, leprosy was common. It's like today with viruses. You know, you can get a cold virus, a stomach virus. There's so many viruses that you can get. And even though you know it's just a virus and you have to go to the doctor and you have to pay them, the answer they give you is usually just wait it out. Let it run its course. It will get better. And you're like, yay, my kid's going to be throwing up for the next three days. Let it go. But you know what? Leprosy is not like that. Leprosy will not go away. Instead of going away, it gets progressively worse. Leprosy is horrible, ugly, disfiguring disease. Leprosy is now called Hansen's disease. It's a bacterial infection which destroys the skin as well as the central nervous system. And even though leprosy is controllable, there are still places in the world today where the disease is found. There's basically three kinds of leprosy. The first one is called tubercular. Tubercular leprosy starts with a discoloring of the skin. The nodules begin to form, usually on the face, around the ears, nose, lips. And after a while, these nodules become open source with a horrible smell and then they begin to spread across the entire body. Ultimately, the hair and eyebrows fall out and the brain becomes infected. After nine or 10 years of misery, the person falls into a coma and then dies. The second kind of leprosy, it's called anesthetic leprosy. Called it because it affects your nerve endings. One day you might pour something hot on your hand and you won't feel it. After a period of time, the ends of the fingers and toes fall off. The hands and feet begin to contract until they look like claws. 
Slowly, a person infected with this kind of leprosy sees their body fall off one piece at a time. An ascetic leprosy lasts between 20 and 25 years. The third kind of leprosy is a combination of both. It's called leprosy proper. After a time, the leprosy gets so bad that a person's skin ultimately turns white. You knew that a person was marked for death if you saw their entire body white. Leprosy was so feared in Bible times that a leper had to wear a bell around their necks and when they walked down the street, they had to shout, unclean, unclean, so people could avoid them. Listen, they were required by law to stay 100 paces away from somebody. That's about 300 feet. Lepers were the outcasts of society. You didn't have pity on them. You just ignored them and went on. Lepers were not supposed to come to town. They stayed in their own colonies on the edge of town, seeing and hearing people, but only from a distance, but never being able to be with them and never being touched. In some ways, it kind of reminds me of the famous prison Alcatraz. Alcatraz was a horrible place of punishment on an island only one mile away from one of the great cities. Prisoners who were held there, they thought it was the cruelest form of punishment because across the open water, you could hear the sounds of the city. You can smell the smells. You can smell the sourdough being baked and you can smell food being cooked, and you are so close, and yet you are so far away. You know what you're missing out, but there's nothing you can do to change it. It had to be the ultimate punishment. When you're sick in bed, you can hear life still going on around you. You can hear people laughing. You can hear people having a good time. And as much as you want to get up and join them, sometimes you just don't have the energy and even if you could, we don't want you around. Keep your germs to yourself. We'd be like, no, no, friend, no, I love you, but go, go, right? We wear the masks during flu season so we don't get sick. We don't want your germs. That was life for the lepers, except it was every day and it never ended. Every single day. They could see and hear other people have fun, have parties, but they couldn't join. All they could do was stand back and watch life pass them by. And perhaps the most vivid picture of the loneliness and rejection caused by the, the disease is that leprosy, you basically attended your own funeral while you were still living. Everyone avoided you. Nobody spoke with you. Lepers were untouchable and they were unloved. Their situation was desperate. They were isolated from their family. Can you believe that? You couldn't go see your mom. You could never hold your own children. You could never have a kiss from your spouse. They were as good as dead. In Jesus' day, leprosy was considered a punishment from God, a result of sin. That's why you got leprosy. So if you touched a leper, not only did you risk infection, you were also considered unclean, which was a big deal back then. No one wanted to be near a leper. Most people ran away from them. There was no cure, so they had no hope. Can you imagine what it would be like to live your entire life without human touch? 
your whole life without anybody touching you. You couldn't hug your mom. You couldn't embrace your kids. No high fives. No hugs. No one wanting to touch you. To go through life without touch must be agonizing. I can't imagine it. It reminds me of Maisha. She was one of our students, and she was a difficult teenager to reach, y'all. Maisha had a very difficult home life. Her house was in the worst part of town. She always got in trouble of, at school. She was always angry. She always had that mad look in her face. Parents of teenagers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Jason and I were her youth pastors. What an honor. She got in trouble one time at youth uh, for taking a swing at me mm -hmm, and missing one inch from my face. I was seven months pregnant with Josiah when that happened. She was difficult. And I didn't know how to reach her. And that bothered me. It bothered me. I couldn't get through to her. You know, she'd say hi and she'd be like, mm. it's good to see you too, friend. A couple of weeks after she took a swing at me, she came back to youth. She talked to me as part of our deal when she came back. And instead of getting on to her and telling her how disappointed I was in her choices and how frustrated I was that she just couldn't do the right thing, I looked at her and I said, Maisha, kid, I love you. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the young lady you're becoming. Listen, Pastor Jason and I, we're on your side. We're on your team. We are cheering you on because we want what God wants for your life. We loved her. She didn't respond. She kept her face. Like, mm. But every service after that, I made a point to go and seek her out. I would say hi. I would tell her how proud I was of her, how awesome she was doing, how glad I was that she came that night. And I would hug her, tell her I loved her, and if she needed anything, she could call Jason or I. Every service. It got to the point where she would come and seek me out. She'd beat me to it. She would say hi. Then one day we got a text message going, hey, things are rough at home. Can I come over? Yes, you can come over. She would come to our house. She would go through our DVD collection. She would sit on the couch, eat snacks, have dinner with us. Sometimes she would get to the house find our couch, get a blanket, and fall asleep because she had not been able to get a, nice, a good nice rest in her house. We got a phone call one day that said, Pastor Jason, we haven't seen my mom in a couple of days and we have no food. Can you help us? So we picked her and her siblings up, took him out to dinner, went grocery shopping. She reached out to us. Listen, when nothing else had worked with Maisha, Love worked. Love was able to reach and penetrate that hardcore persona she was trying to portray because she had so much going on in her life that every adult had let her down and Jason and I were surely no different. But then love broke through. She became one of my all-time 
favorite kids. She did. I miss her. I, I keep in touch with one of her sisters. I've lost touch with her, but it's my hope that one day I'll be able to see her again. I love that kid. I love her. I'm sure that our simple hugs and expressions of love are what reached her. It was a key to change her life. Listen, there's power when you touch somebody's life. Just a simple touch. The leopard approached Jesus. His face was covered with patches of discolored skin, open sores. His lips, his nose, his ears were probably swollen and misshaped. Patches of his scalp were black. Hair had fallen out. The disease had taken over. Yellowish eyes stared from a face without eyebrows or eyelashes. His fingers and toes were rotting and disfigured. It was a gruesome sight. We don't know how long he had been afflicted with leprosy, but one version of the Bible tells us that he was covered with leprosy. His condition was probably been advanced. It had probably been years since anybody touched him, since he had, able, since he had been able to get close to anybody. Everywhere he went for years, he had to call out, unclean, unclean, and watch as people ran away from him. This leper was breaking all the rules. He was not supposed to be approaching the crowd. He was not supposed to be approaching Jesus, but I'm sure his desperation led him to it. He was desperate. He couldn't live with the pain and the ugliness and the isolation and the loneliness. I think he decided that if the crowd killed him for coming so close, then surely that was preferable to the life that he was living. As he approached, I'm sure that people began to back away and that crowd around Jesus cleared. This was the leper's big moment. It was his big chance. As people backed away and covered their eyes, I'm sure in disgust because they didn't want to even see him, the leper knelt at Jesus' feet, and with a broken body, and with a broken heart, he cried out, Master, if you are willing, you can heal me. Listen to that. If you are willing, if you want to, you can heal me. I imagine Jesus paused and looked at the man, what a moment for the leper, that someone had stopped to actually look at him, actually made eye contact with him. And you know what? Jesus saw so much more than just a deceased man in front of him. He saw so much more than just a grotesque, disfigured body in front of him. Jesus saw through the ugliness, straight to the pain, straight to the heart of the matter. We don't know much about the leper, but I'm sure at one point, he was somebody's beautiful baby boy. And I'm sure he grew up to be a little boy who loved to run around and play and drive his mom crazy and color on the walls. And I'm sure he had hopes and dreams, a future that he imagined. Maybe he even got a chance to grow up and get married and have a family and children of his own. And then in one instant, leprosy took it all away. His family, 
his hopes, his dreams, his future, his career, everything was taken from him. I think Jesus saw that just in a flash. He saw it. And I'm sure that at that moment, the heart of Jesus broke. I'm sure it broke. Don't you love Jesus? What an amazing scene it must have been. The leper kneeling at Jesus' feet, waiting for an answer. Listen, Jesus looked at the man. And I'm sure his eyes filled with tears of compassion. And then the most remarkable thing of all happened. Verse 3 tells us that Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. The crowd must have gasped. What was Jesus doing? You don't touch a leper, dude. But Jesus touched the man that no one else would touch. This forgotten man who had been rejected by his family, by his society, was touched by the hand of God. He had been forgotten by everyone else. He had been avoided by everyone else. But Jesus reached out and touched him. Understand this. Jesus didn't have to touch the leper. He had healed other people completely by just speaking a word. He didn't even have to be in the same room with them. When he healed the centurion's servant, they were like far away and Jesus just said, he spoke the word. He didn't have to touch them, but he did. He did. And finally, he said, I am willing. I am willing. Be cleaned. And I'm sure the leper's heart began to pound. Jesus was willing. Jesus was willing to heal him. Could it really be true? Could he finally escape this life he had lived? This life of loneliness and pain and isolation? Listen to what the Bible says. Immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. Immediately, the leprosy fell away. Color returned back to his face. His face was instantly covered with smooth, clear skin. The sores fell away to be replaced by healthy, glowing skin. His ears and his lips and his nose returned to normal. His fingers and his toes began to grow back. He was clean. Wouldn't you have loved to hear his testimony? I'm sure it would have gone something like this. In an instant, I felt warmth where there had been numbness. I felt strength where there had been weakness. I looked down and fingers and toes started appearing. Sores began to fall off and new skin instantly replaced it. Jesus could have healed me with his words, but instead he touched me. Imagine that, unworthy of the touch of a man, but worthy of a touch from God. He touched me. And I am whole.
became an ex-leper because Jesus specializes in creating ex-somethings, ex-addicts, ex-misfits, ex-sinners, ex-losers, and ex-lepers. And here is where I get a little bit frustrated with the Bible. I want to know how did the crowd react? I want to know what did the leper say? What did he do? I'm sure that the emotion had to be overwhelming. Can you imagine being there? Can you imagine watching that happen? Who are the lepers today, though? We don't have a disease that we fear like this. But I think the lepers today are people or the person who has part of them that feels unclean. You can't see it like an open sore, but they are desperately hurting. They feel like an outcast. They feel like a reject, a misfit. And even though they are surrounded by people, they feel alone. 
Like nobody ever wants to touch them or spend time with them. Like if society has forgotten them, maybe it's the person who believes what people have said about them. It's not a disease of the body, but it is a condition of the spirit and the mind. It's the person who's been wounded and is afraid that they'll never be the same again. It's the person who feels untouchable, unlovable, rejected yet again. I think there's some lessons that we can learn from this story. First, Jesus saw the leper. Everyone else turned away. You didn't look at lepers. You avoided even eye contact with them, even glancing their way. People felt like they would get infected just by looking at them. I'm sure they were a gruesome and gory sight. No one wanted to be involved. But you know what? Jesus saw him. Jesus didn't freak out with his need. Jesus wasn't like, oh my goodness, you're coming to me for that. No. Jesus saw the person. Second, Jesus touched him. That alone would have been huge for the leper, to be touched by somebody. I'm sure he had not felt the touch of another human being for years. Yet Jesus reached out and touched him. He was touched by God's hand. And in that instant, I'm sure that his self-worth was restored. He was no longer unlovable. I'm sure his value was restored. He felt loved again with the simple touch from Jesus. All the pain, the torment, the loneliness was gone. The leper was touched by Jesus. He was healed. He was cleaned. He went from a hopeless leper to a man with a future. A man who could dream dream again and live again. A man who now had hope. Something that he had never imagined that he could have again. Just because he spent that one moment with that one touch from Jesus. Listen, Jesus sees you regardless of your past, regardless of your failures, regardless of what you have gone through, Jesus looks past all of that. He sees you. He sees you beyond it all. See, we're so used to being judged by society and how we look. That's why there's all those filters on Facebook, and then people wonder why we don't recognize them outside of Facebook. You don't look like your picture, friend. And we're so used to that. That when we come to church, sometimes we want to throw those same filters up so people will think we're okay. Hey, everything's fine. But you know what? Jesus sees through that. Jesus sees through it. He sees you. And he is not repulsed by your need or by your past or what has happened to you or what you have walked through. Jesus sees you. He doesn't turn away. Jesus loves you. If you didn't know that, Jesus loves you. When you are touched by Jesus, you're never the same. You can never be the same. One touch from Jesus changes everything. 
You have sickness, one touch from Jesus and you are healed. Victim, one touch from Jesus and there's hope. You're an overcomer. You have a hopeless situation, one touch from Jesus will restore that hope and that joy. Growing up, I remember my mom, my sister, and I would go to church whenever my dad led us. My dad wasn't saved. He didn't love Jesus. And we had been praying for years for him. For as long as I can remember, we had been praying for him. One night, we came back from church and dad was home. It was Sunday night, so we knew he had been drinking because he drank every day. Now, my dad was a really fun person, guys, when he was sober. But as time went on, it was less and less and less that we saw of him. And when we saw him, it just wasn't a pretty sight. He was a very hard man to grow up with. That night, we were walking home, and our house had been built on a hill. You had to climb 18 steps to get to our front door, okay? Yeah, 18. I got my exercise back then. And uh, the lights were off, so we knew Dad was asleep. And we were going to come in as quietly as possible, so we were not going to wake him up. I remember we went through the door. I went straight to the bedroom I shared with my sister. My sister went to the kitchen. So when you walked in, here's the living room, my parents' bedroom, the kitchen in our bedroom and the bathroom. My mom stayed in the living room, my sister went to the kitchen, and all of a the sudden there was this commotion in my parents' bedroom. And the door opened and the man who stood there looked like my dad. But his eyes had this crazy look on his face. He was filled with rage. I could still see it. What we didn't know that we found out later is that not only had he been drinking a lot that night, he had also taken some pills and done something else and it totally altered his perception. He heard, a, he heard my sister in the kitchen and he took off after her. And I can remember my mom in the living room yelling, run, Sol, run. It took her a second to react and then the door that was in the kitchen to lead outside was really funky to open. You just had to like shove against it. Thankfully, she ran out right before my dad caught her. I remember my mom and I somehow made it to the street and we could see my dad, because remember our house was on top of the hill. We could see him frantically searching for my sister, getting more and more angry as the seconds went on. And I can remember my mom holding my hand and yelling, hide, don't come out, hide, I'll come find you. Don't you dare come out. My mom took me to the neighbor's house and uh, I had to wait there. Thankfully, another one of our neighbors heard us. They were able to somehow calm my dad down, get him back in the house and keep him there until my mom found my sister. We had to spend the night at the neighbor's house because it was not safe to go home. And I want to tell you that after that, things changed, but they didn't. They didn't get better. Some days they got worse. And I can remember praying and praying over and over and over again, God, we know you can heal my dad. You know you can save him, Lord. 
About five or six years later, my dad started coming to church. And one day, he came to the altar and he gave his life to Jesus. And immediately, he stopped drinking. But that was not the only miracle. In that moment, guys, Jesus healed our family. See, we could have grown up resenting my dad and being angry and frustrated at everything that he put us through. We could have blamed him for all of our problems. We could have turned into alcoholics ourselves. We could have, we, we could have been filled with bitterness and anger and wanted nothing to do with my dad. But in that moment, not only did Jesus save him and heal him and change him, he healed us as a family. I love my dad. I'm his favorite. I love my dad. He's an awesome guy. He's full of life. He jokes all the time. Uh, he does practical jokes. He's hilarious. When him and my mom were celebrating their like 30-year anniversary, our pastor was like, hey, happy anniversary. How long has it been? And he's like, 30 years. And pastor's like, wow. And my dad goes, it feels only like a day. And as my pastor's about to say, oh, he goes, in Vietnam. That's my dad. My kids love him. They love spending time with them. Sophia tells me that she wants to go live with them forever. Listen, that relationship would not be possible between my kids and my dad if God had not healed our family first. Was it hard? Yes. It was hard. We had to choose to forgive. We had to choose to move on from there and to build that relationship. I still call and talk to my dad just to say hi just to see what he's doing. People that knew him before can never deny the power of God that changed his life. And people who know him now that didn't meet him when he didn't love Jesus, when we share this story, they're like, your dad? No way. There is no possible way that man can be who you're describing and I say, you're right. Only God could have made that change. My dad has taught Sunday school. He's been Sunday school director. He's led men's ministry. He's preached. Only God. Only God. That's the reason. It's the only reason that our family was healed, that my dad was changed. Only God could do it. That's it. Listen, the same God who healed that baby, it's the same God that healed my family. It's the same God that's here this morning and that can heal your family. It's the same God who can set you free like he set my dad free. You may not be struggling with alcoholism, but you could be struggling with something else. 
It's the same God. It's the same power. The same God who healed that leper is here. If you need physical healing, he's here this morning. And listen, he is willing to heal us. He's willing to heal us. But we have to come like the leper came. Isn't that awesome? I can just imagine it. I can just feel it that Jesus stands at the altar and says, I'm willing. I'm here this morning and I'm willing. I'm willing to restore families. I'm willing to heal them. I'm willing to bind broken hearts again. I'm willing to set you free from addiction. I'm willing to set you free from this disease. I am willing. You're dealing with a hopeless situation. It's okay. I can speak hope into it. Listen, if God can restore my family, God can restore your family. If God can totally change the trajectory of my life, He can change yours. The God who healed the leper is here this morning. Physical needs can be healed. Wounds that nobody else knows about because you don't want to share them. That's okay. Jesus sees them and he can heal them this morning. You're not hopeless. Regardless of what the doctors have said, our hope is not on them. Our hope is not on the doctors and on medication. Now don't get me wrong, don't mishear me. God can heal us through medicine. I firmly believe that. But this morning, if you have lost your hope for your family, for yourself, this morning, when all hope may seem gone, it's available to you. It's available to you because our hope is in God. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And this morning, if you need that touch from Jesus, Listen, that, that's the image I kept getting in my head as, as I read through this, as I prayed over this. I can see Jesus standing in this place going, I am willing. I am willing. All you have to do is ask. I am willing. This morning, Jesus is willing to heal your marriage. Jesus is willing to heal your body. Jesus is waiting to heal your heart. The question is, are you willing to let him? If you need a touch from God, will you please stand? Will you please stand? If you, are, if you need God to intervene, do something in your life. Will you stand? We would love to pray with you. Thank you. God, we are so thankful that you are willing to heal us. God, we are so thankful that you are willing to set us free, Lord. God, you willingly went to the cross. You suffered a horrible death 
so that we could live. But God, you just didn't buy us an okay life. Your blood paid to have life and have it more abundantly, to live it to the fullest in you, God. Lord, we thank you, God, because those hopeless situations, you are breathing back in hope. God, those diagnoses from the doctors, Lord, you are reversing right now. God, we thank you that we're going to see marriages restored, families healed. Thank you, God, that we are going to walk out of this place as ex-victims, as ex-addicts. That we are going to walk out in freedom, full of hope, O oh Lord God, not to keep it to ourselves, but to share it, O oh Lord God, with everyone that we meet. God, this morning as we leave, O oh Lord God, let us encourage someone. Let us speak words of hope into their lives. God, may you put people in our lives that need to hear this very thing we heard this morning, Lord. And that you will give us the courage to be obedient and to share. God, you are willing to use us to transform our city. Thank you that you are willing to use us to carry this message, the gospel of hope to others. God, we are willing and we accept, oh Lord God, the call to spread the good news. God, may this week we remember to encourage others and to share this message of hope. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.